Almighty Father, Master and Lord, King of all kings and redeemed. Wonderful Comforter, Comforter, Friend, Savior and Source of our life Interesting to know who writes these hymns. And I know some of the folks who wrote these. Interesting thing in the church I was in out at First Baptist Church, Harrison, Arkansas, before coming here, the guy who wrote Victory in Jesus, uh, Gene Bartlett, was a member of that church. He, had, he died in the 50s. The, but they sang that song about once a quarter. And they had a contemporary and a traditional service. <laughs> We sang it in both services every time. They sang it like they knew it, and they did. Number 601, I'll fly away. You might not need the music for this, but uh, just in case you do, it's on 601. Let's stand together as we sing. Some glad morning when this life is o'er. come as we sing this last one. Just a few more weary days and then I'll fly away. Joy shall never end. I'll fly away, oh glory. I'll fly away. When I die, Brother Gene, lead us in prayer, please, sir.
Thank you, David. We have a video here. Rob, did you get it? it um, it's the one of, it's called Back to Church Sunday. This is coming up next month. I wanted to show it's a big inv invitation to church. Sometimes YouTube videos don't always work right. Maybe pews, stained glass, maybe free coffee and donuts. Here's the thing, church is not any of those things. Church is a people, a group of people who are passionate about following Jesus with everything inside of us. And that passion propels us to action. That's why we care for the poor and the homeless through local outreaches. We pick up and go when disaster hits to give help and hope to those in need. And we fight for freedom for people all over the world. With over 300,000 churches in America and 5 million in the world, the local church is able to do what no other group of people have ever been able to accomplish. Consider the church's influence on culture. So much of the world's art and architecture and literature and music has been and continues to be shaped by the local church. In 369 AD, the church built the first hospital and is still the largest provider of healthcare in history. The church was the first to stand up for the rights of children and created the largest orphanage system in the world. In a world where depression and loneliness run rampant, the church swings open its doors to provide rest for the weary. All of this comes out of the church's passion to show up with the same creativity, grace, and forgiveness that Christ showed us. And that's what it means to be the church. Maybe you'd say, all this sounds great, but it's not really my scene. I didn't grow up in church. It's never been a big part of my life. Well, here's the thing, you're here. And maybe you're here because you have found yourself in a place you never thought you would be. Maybe you're feeling alone, just exhausted. We've all experienced the pain of a broken heart, the loss of a family member, a friend. Maybe you'd say, I was just looking for a momentary escape from life, or I just didn't know where else to turn. Whatever the reason, let me just say, in this moment, you're home. So whether you're joined up with a group of people in a home church, you're in a small country church, you're in a new millennium kind of place with big screens and lights, or you're watching online, whatever it is, lean in, pull up a seat, and know that this is a place for you to find purpose, a place for you to find community, to find a family. This is a place for you to belong. Welcome to church. Next month, our church is going to participate in something called National Back to Church Sunday. I'll be preaching on it. It's, it's on Sunday, September 16th. That's the third Sunday in September. And what it is, it's a big um, opportunity for folks to invite people to church. And it ties in. I want to show, I've got several videos we'll be showing throughout uh, leading up uh, to that time. Um, as well as it, it ties in with the scripture we're about to read here. So you want to open your Bibles to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 10. We're going to read Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 24. This here is about, truly about outreach, what we're going to see about how Jesus sends people out into the community, sends people out to certainly witness for him. And while we turn here a little bit, we'll turn over and um, we're going to look at um, uh, Genesis 19, Isaiah 14, and Revelation 13 later on. But you can follow along here in Luke chapter 10 and um, we'll be able to... Uh, uh, see those things going on. Next Sunday is, uh, next Sunday evening is the 19th, and it's something different on Sunday night church. We're uh, um, restarting a wa our Awana ministry here at our church, 
and they do something around, around school time. It's called the Awana Back-to-School Kickoff Celebration, and they have this guy coming from Harrogate, Tennessee, I believe, is where he's coming. He's going to come here. His name's Gene Cordova, and he's going to do a ventriloquism show, which is puppets. So he'll have all um, a big, it, it starts, the time is 30 minutes, sorry. So to, next Sunday, church is at 530. It's 530-730 because his show's about an hour, hour and 20 minutes long. Then they're having a big ice cream party afterwards. So uh, it's not just for children. Anyone's invited to show. I mean, it's an evangelistic show uh, presenting the gospel. So that is next Sunday night. And then uh, after that, we'll be back on our regular, uh, regular Sunday, um, uh, Sunday evening schedule at 6 o'clock. Um, uh, in two weeks with that. We're going through the book of Luke. This is my favorite book of the Bible, as I've shared before, and it's one here that I think it speaks to us, and it's particularly about our generation. There's four sections tonight we're going to be seeing here. Jesus sends out, right here, we're about to read 72 people. Jesus sends out you. We are to live lives that are sent. What that means is, um, actually, do you have, I texted, Rob, do you have that picture that you, and are y'all able I don't know if you can, this is from yesterday morning, and uh, I wanted to show this because I think this is, uh, this is our culture today, and I don't know if you can see, I, I put this on my Twitter uh, page yesterday, I thought this is such an important picture, I wanted to uh, zoom in and show it. Yesterday morning, right before we were about to leave out, we went out one more time in Jenkins, and this is in a, a little road not far from where we were staying, I don't know if you can see, if you're able to zoom in, but there's a door right there, this is a, a truly a run-down house. Uh, I wouldn't even use, I mean, the building's just, it's completely falling apart. And there was a door at the bottom, and there, uh, somebody had, I guess, taped an American flag, and then somebody wrote the word on the door, hell. And, uh, and I want to talk about that, because we're about to see about that, because in our culture today, we throw around that word very casually. And it was one that we, we live in a time where uh, humor is everything. Sound bites, sound clips, uh, the shallowness, um, and it's something where people use the word hell, and not so much talking about a literal place that people are gonna go to if they don't have Jesus Christ. They just do. They just say it as a way. It says, "I don't believe you," or "I don't like you," or "Get away, go away." You know, whatever. It's just kind of a. It's become a what I call a throwaway word where it. It means nothing when someone uses that word, and that's a perfect example of yesterday morning in Jenkins, Kentucky. Just an old, run-down house. People just wrote the word, hey, this house is hell, uh, right there. But there's, we're going to see here, and the reason why I believe folks don't consider hell a reality today is because of this 30-second, um, everything is fake today. What I mean by that is people don't sit around thinking about the reality and the doctrine of hell. The doctrine of hell is clearly taught, and we're going to see here in the passages here by Jesus Christ. If someone doesn't have Christ in their life, they are going to a place that they would, if so, someone in hell would love to live in a home like that, that would be a resort if you were currently in hell right now. They would pay money to live in that house. They don't have any money in hell, but if they had some and could get out, they can. The truth is, you can't get out of hell. Jesus said a great chase them is fixed between the two. So we as Christians, as Bible-believing Christians, we have to be careful with our language 
and when we talk about these type of things because hell is not a place for joking whatsoever. It's a real place, and it's certainly not a house in Jenkins, Kentucky whatsoever. It's a place that people go without Christ. Now, that being the case, we as believers, if there is an eternal hell, and we know that people will literally, the Bible says it's the flame never goes out in hell. It's eternal fire. And people go there that do not know the Lord Jesus. What does that mean for us? That should be a motivator. It's like our next door neighbors are from Nepal. We're trying to, they, they moved here as refugees. We've gotten to know them. He works at UK. And they are Hindu. They are not Christians. When they die, they are going to hell. They do not believe in Jesus. I was driving to church today, and I was even telling Dan, I said, Dan, we should be praying for that man, because he was doing yard work as I was coming here. And, and he doesn't. He's, a, he's another religion. So what this is, we have to see people through the lens of eternity. And what that means is, is we can't look at them as saying, oh, they're from Nepal, they're from eastern Kentucky, they're from Alabama. These are people who either have a relationship with the Lord and they're saved, or they're lost. That's it. That's all Jesus looks at. He does not care about race, nationality. He doesn't care about people's background. He looks at folks. God does and says, does this person know my son or does not know her son? So I want you to really follow on because we're going to see this in every single story here. It's going to be very clear about the seriousness of telling people about Jesus. After this, verse 1, Luke chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. Now, the say others, the first are the 12 disciples. So now, this is the sending of the 72. And he sent them ahead of him in pairs in every town and place where he himself was about to go. He told them, the harvest is abundant. We're going to talk about this verse right here, verse 2. The harvest is abundant or plentiful, but the workers are few. There's a problem right there. Look at that. The harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. The harvest is abundant, meaning, what are we talking? Are we talking about farming? No, we're not. Jesus isn't talking about farming. He's talking about the harvest of souls. He's talking about there's a lot of people out there. It doesn't matter. We don't need to know whether there's a million or 40 men. There's just a lot of folks that don't know, my son. So what we have to do as believers, we've got this massive harvest. But we have a problem. The workers are few. Now, who are the workers? What does it mean to be a worker? A worker is someone who's doing the Lord's work. We're not talking about unemployment. We're not talking about we just can't find a job in Israel and Jerusalem at the time. We're talking about the Lord's work at this point. We have always two jobs. You might have your profession, whatever you do, but then you also do the Lord's work. You are required to certainly do work for the Lord. He expects that. But he says there's a lot of people who aren't doing his work. So then what a problem here? Look at verse 2. So what do we do? Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. When we do not have workers, we pray to God and he sends us workers. Brenda Isaacs, and she's not here tonight, she was telling me something. Maybe she's listening on Facebook Live. It was about two weeks ago. She was saying, Dan, I want to tell you about something that happened about 
oh, 17, 18 years ago here at Broadway. The church back in around 2000 went through some tough times and just uh, it was a difficult day about 20 years ago, 18, 20 years ago here at the church. And uh, it, was, it sort of went through a split and a lot of folks left and just, uh, very, just people were hurt, just tough times. And we, the new, a brand new pastor came on named Shannon Back. Shannon was a young guy, excited, ready to go do some work, go, go out in the harvest field. And he realized, you know, when you come into a church that's, uh, just went through a split. People are wounded. They're tired. They're not ready to work. They aren't. They don't want to work. They want to recover. They want to go and um, relax. They're not in the working mood right now. And Shannon, she said, led the folks to praying. Listen to this. The prayer was for workers. Does anybody, who here remembers that? You prayed for workers. One. All right, well, one person remembers Shannon leading us. I was making sure, making sure Brenda was telling the truth. At least one person raised their hand there, so it wasn't a fake story. But it was a true story that we prayed for workers in our church. And God brought them. He did. He didn't just bring people sitting in the pew. He brought, we're going to do, do the Lord's work. Now, the Lord's work is everything. It's, it's accomplishing the mission of seeing people saved pushing back against the darkness all around us. That is what it means to do the Lord's work. And you need to ask yourself, am I doing the Lord's work? Am I a worker? Remember, there's no retirement. No retirement for the believer. You might retire from your job, but you never retire from the Lord. I had a friend um, named Duke. Sherry knows him. He's now gone to be the Lord. Well, he lived there in Moreland, Georgia. He bought his retirement home and retired on the lake down there. His wife passed away, and he started getting elderly. Well, his son lived in Lakeland, Florida. Well, Duke had to move because he just couldn't care for himself anymore. Duke was a soul winner. He was a deacon at the church, and a man everywhere he went, he would volunteer at the hospital. He would go door-to-door. I mean, just a, a, he was a soul winner, told people about Jesus. Well, he... Um, went down to Lakeland, Florida, had to go into a care facility there. And do you know, he, we would talk, talk to each other regularly. And do you know what Duke would do at Lakeland, Florida? This little care facility down there, they didn't have a chapel service for the residents. He started one. He started having a weekly uh, church service. It was Duke leading it. He could barely get around, but he did it. And he was a, every opportunity he could when folks would bring him food, when the pe- workers would come and make sure, okay, he would tell them about the Lord. Now, obviously, he wasn't able to get out and go, but he used every sentence, every opportunity to do the Lord's work. He never retired. And he said that. He says, God has saved me. I'm going to bring as many people to heaven as I can. And he did. He led a lot of folks to the Lord. That's a model for us that any and every opportunity we're doing. I want to tell you the problem, the reason why we don't do this is we don't think about it. It's not our minds. Other things are our minds. You've been deceived by politics. You've been but deceived by other supposedly issues in America. But there are no other issues. According to Jesus, the issue, this is the issue right here. Verse 2, the harvest is, this is Jesus. He says, hey guys, the harvest is abundant. Don't, don't, there's no excuse for a church folding and going out of business. 
There's no excuse. You've got the harvest. It's not like there aren't any people anymore. There's plenty of lost souls. The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Who's, who's the Lord of the harvest? It's God. He's the Lord of the harvest. He's the one that gives the harvest to folks to send out workers into His harvest. The harvest is people He's talking about. Our job is to be praying. He says, God, are, can I be a worker? How are you going to use me? And if we don't have enough workers, Lord, bring workers. We want to see folks saved and then turn them into a worker for Jesus. Every single person in the sanctuary tonight, you should be doing some work in some capacity for the Lord. And that work is pointing people to Jesus and what you're doing here. Very clear. Verse 3. Keep going here. Now go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Meaning it's not going to be easy. You're going to be, you're going to be among the lost. Don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the way. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Now, what is that? A person of peace. This is interesting here. In verse 5, it uses that. Or verse 6, a person of peace. A person of peace is someone who's receptive to your message. Someone who's excited about what you're doing. They might not so much be a believer, but they will allow the opportunity for it to happen. <clears throat> I'm not going to say the elementary schools, but, but back during the time of VBS, um, we um, tried to distribute our Awana, or not Awana, our VBS little flyers to like 20 schools. Well, one of the schools said no. They rejected us. Uh, the other 19 said yes. But I'll never forget, because uh, some of you here tonight helped drop those off. Well, I had to take a few as well, because we were on time, time crunch. So I dropped them off, and I met a person of peace. I'm not going to tell you the elementary school, but I went there. There's this one elementary school, and the lady's waiting at the counter, and she finds out and says, Wow, these children at this school, they need Jesus. Amen. I'm so glad to see some churches actually distribute their stuff through the schools or all this other stuff or junk that's going through we need to be advanced in the kingdom now that is a person of peace this receptionist was excited about the opportunity even though she doesn't go to this church but she recognized the gospel is the good news for anyone and it's going to go out that's what a person of peace is it's someone that we were allowed in that school to work through her in getting the message out the person of peace is the person that allows you to have a platform and allows the message to distribute. So you go and you look for that opportunity. Who would, who's going to allow me to do this? That's what the reference there is in verse 6. Keep going. Verse, verse 8. Verse 7. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking, whatever they offer, for the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't move from house to house. When you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, The kingdom of God has come near you. When you enter any town and they don't welcome you, go out into the streets and say, We are wiping off even the dust of your town that clings to our feet as a witness against you. So what they're saying is, they're saying, Hey, you didn't reject me. You're rejecting the Lord. You know when you're rejecting, somebody doesn't accept your invitation to church or they don't want to hear about the Lord or they tell you to hush your mouth or be quiet. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting the Lord. You just wipe your feet off and say, we're going to move on. We've got other things to do here. Um, you, do not, you never argue or debate somebody into the kingdom. 
God opens their heart. God allows them to respond, and you just you move on if they are, are not interested. We're wiping off the dust of our feet, and the clown that cleans our feet is a witness against you. Know this is for certain. The kingdom of God has come near. I'll tell you, on that day, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than that town. Flip over your Bibles to Genesis chapter 19. It will be more tolerable for Sodom than that town. I want you to understand what's, what he just said. Jesus said so. I think we read over that Bible verse. It will be more tolerable than Sodom. What happened at Sodom? We're about to see here. Sodom was destroyed by God. So let's follow what Jesus just said. If you, someone rejects, if a, if a city rejects the Lord and people are just saying, no, we're not interested, go away, we don't hear the one message of Jesus, Jesus says it's actually better for Sodom. It's better to be in Sodom. At least six folks got saved out of Sodom. No one's getting saved in your town. I'd rather live in Sodom where at least there was an opportunity to respond. These people kicked him out and had nothing to do. Jesus made it very clear that it's what's worse, rejecting Christ or living in Sodom. What's worse? You don't have to answer it. But Jesus just said it's better to live in Sodom in an immoral, homosexual city and at least have the opportunity to reject Christ receive jesus than to reject christ because these people here that they had to wipe the dust off their feet when they were asked to leave and says we don't want your jesus we don't want your god they were saying we, we want to go to hell we would rather go to hell than listen to what your message is look here genesis chapter 19 verse 24 look what it says here verse 23 the sun had risen over the land when lot reached zoar that's a little town next to sodom then out of the sky the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, burning sulfur from the Lord. He demolished these cities, the entire plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and whatever grew on the ground. But Lot's wife looked back and became a pillar of salt. Lot's wife, she turned and looked back. She got out of the town, but she uh, was disobedient to the Lord and was just curious. Her curiosity killed her, literally. She just wanted to see what it looked like. She turned around and she died immediately. Now, Jesus says it's better to live in Sodom than to reject Jesus Christ and to live in one of these towns that rejects the Lord. We live in Sodom here, Lexington. Sodomy is everywhere. Sodom is immorality. Sodom is a sign that there's just a lawlessness and a rampant sin all over. We live in a day of Sodom. Nothing's changed. And Jesus is telling us that our responsibility here in Lexington, here in our state, is we, we are surrounded by people who are going to hell. And you have to be able to say, do you love these folks? Do you genuinely love people who are lost? Do you love a gay man? Do you love your hairdresser who's a homosexual? Do you love someone who's, who goes to high school with your grandchildren and they're a transvestite? I don't even know what the words are, but with a transsexual, whatever it would be. They identify differently. And your grandkids come home and are telling you about it. Is you, you, our answer says, hey, these people are lost. They do not know Jesus. They're going to hell, and it's not like that little building there. It's a place of eternal fire. And it would be better to live in Sodom than to, than to reject the Lord. That's what Jesus said here. So he's sending these 72. Listen, as Jesus sends out 72 back then, 
Hilson, 72 today. We are living lives that are sin. But the problem's not the harvest. There's plenty of lost folks. The problem's the workers. Or the, there are workers. You say, damn, I'm a worker. But you're not really doing the right work. Listen, everything at Broadway Baptist Church needs to be pointing folks to the Lord. One of the things I'm going to ask y'all, on Sunday morning, we need to have more responsive church. During the invitation, I want you to be praying. We have, there's new faces I'm seeing on Sunday. Two weeks ago, somebody told me, says, Daniel, they were here. I had a confirmed, there was a confirmed lost person that did not know Jesus. During our invitation, respond to the gospel. We don't beg and pry people down out, but the Holy Spirit will lead people to respond to the gospel and the good news. Your responsibility during the sermon, some of you have been saved 40, 50, 60 years. You've heard every sermon in the world. You need to be praying for God's, God's Spirit to move during the invitation. People who are under conviction. People who are, who are being touched by the Holy Spirit. A, a lot of times they just need to know, hey brother, you want me to walk you down? Do you, do you need help? Do I need to move out of the aisle? Any way to make it easy for them to respond. I promise the, the devil will put every obstacle in the way from people to responding to the good news. We want to be a responsive church. So that when we give an invitation, when we, there's, you've been praying for it all week. There's folks in this church who hear me every week who haven't been baptized. And that's sad. They're going to appear for the Lord. They're an unbaptized believers. No, you never found one except the thief on the cross. Unbaptized believer. Turn back to Luke chapter 10. Let's keep going here. Second section here. These are the unrepentant towns. And I wonder if Lexington is an unrepentant town. Look here. Woe to you. Karanzin, woe to you, Bethsaida. Now, say, Daniel, what are these towns? What's Jesus talking about with these towns? Those top two towns there are Jewish towns, Jewish cities in Galilee. Jesus went there and preached to the folks there in person, and they did not receive his message. They were not excited about him. They looked at Jesus and said, this is Joseph's son. Who does he think he is? For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Tyre and Sidon, do you know what those cities are? They're along the coast. They're Gentile cities. Jesus is insulting the people here. He's saying, you know, I come to your city, and I sit around and I preach. Over and over and over. And none of you respond. All you do is want to see a bunch of miracles. Y'all don't care about repenting. You don't care about you putting God first in your life and living a life for the Lord. You ain't believe what I'm saying. But you know, if I would have took this message to the Gentile people over here that you hate, who you think are going to hell, they would have repented. They would have even put sackcloth and ashes on and turned and listened to my message. Jesus is saying the Gentile sinnings are are more receptive than the devout Jewish cities are. That's what he's saying. He's saying it's, it's, almost like a, it's almost like a black plague rules over a city where just people aren't responding to the gospel. It's over, the, it's over these cities that they just aren't interested in what Jesus has to say. And I wonder if that's the way in Lexington. Is, is there that same unresponsiveness here in our city? 
Verse 14, But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. He just said, these folks and Gentiles, when these folks are judged, the Gentile cities have repented, be more, it will be better for them, more tolerable. I mean, they won't receive the same judgment as you. And in you, Capernaum, Jesus preached more in Capernaum, that's along the Sea of Galilee, than any other community. That's a region there, north, northern Sea of Galilee. You will be exalted to heaven. No. You will go down to Hades. That's hell. That's what Hades is. That's the place of the dead. Capernaum, who Jesus is there the most, they aren't going to heaven. In fact, they're going to the place of the dead, Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Don't miss that. Jesus is saying, whoever has ears, let them hear. Meaning, you need to listen to what the Lord's saying. Cities influence people against or for Jesus. You have to be careful. Listen, if you and I raise our family here in Lexington, Kentucky, your children and grandchildren have opportunities for churches and uh, uh, Christian organizations and Christian clubs that might not exist in San Francisco, California. If you raise your children in the heart of San Francisco, California, they will be going to public schools that are radically different and teaching radically different things than might be here in Lexington. But then again, if you go down in South Georgia... Do you know I was in South Georgia about three years ago for a wedding? At the local city hall, they're advertising Bible schools for all the different uh, churches around there. And you would go into the library, and you would drive by, and you would see all, all the advertisements for churches. You will have a different surroundings in South Georgia because it's, it's incredibly religious. It doesn't mean everybody's saved, but there's a lot of churches, a lot of influence there than maybe in Lexington, and then compared to Lexington to San Francisco. Where someone is, their community, their town, it makes a difference for the gospel. That's why Jesus is saying, where you live here, Capernaum, you don't realize it, but these Jewish people who are growing up in Capernaum, that are being told their whole life, hey, you're the blessed race, you've got a ticket to heaven, everybody loves you, you're from the seed of Abraham. You don't need to listen to Jesus. Jesus is looking and says, you fool, you're going to hell. You believe this stuff. You can't hear it over and over. When you get indoctrinated by something over and over and over again, eventually it influences you. That's the danger of living among the Canaanites because Canaanite culture, it creeps into your life. You live here in Lexington long enough Next thing you know, alcohol, it won't be that bad. There's just liquor store in every corner. Homosexuality, the mayor's gay. You just go along with it say, that's how things are today. I know it's taught in the schools. And you go with the drift. And you'll find yourself drifting away from the Lord. That, Broadway Baptist, is what's happening in these cities Jesus is preaching to the town, and they're drifted the opposite way. And he's saying, woe to you. You don't realize on the day of judgment, your whole city is doomed. It's better to be a Gentile. At least they repent. How do we know the, the, the responsiveness is those who repent? 
Jesus is calling His people to repentance. Hard hearts. People who are know-it-alls. People that already know everything. They don't feel they need to repent. They're educated. They've been around the block. They've heard it all before. This is what the devil does to us. You've heard every single sermon. There's nothing this young guy could tell you that's nothing new. Jesus is coming along and he's preaching to these cities, and they look at him and says, man, just, just do a trick and get out of here. Come on, let's see the magic show. And Jesus is saying, there's, there's no place here for me. I'm just going to go to the Gentile cities. It's going to be better for them on judgment. I'm just going to wipe the feet off and move on. Look here, next verse, verse 17. Here's the return of the 72. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. You know, if you ever see a demon, you call it in Jesus' name. The Bible says it submits to it. I've never seen a demon, but if you ever do, that's what the Bible says. Jesus affirmed this. He said to them, now look at this verse. We're going to look this up. Look what Jesus says here. You talk about the power of our Lord. Verse 18. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Wow! What is he talking about? This is where Satan came from. Keep your finger here, Luke chapter 10. Flip back to Isaiah chapter 14. Have you ever wondered, where does Satan come from? Did he get kicked out of heaven? Yes, he did. And in Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 15, and Luke chapter 10, verse 18, are parallel passages. They're talking about the same thing. Jesus is affirming to the people. These, the people show up. They come back and say, Jesus, guess what? Turn your Bible while I speak. Isaiah 14, 12. I'm going to read this. I want you to read along. I said, Jesus, I couldn't believe it. These folks here, like, we say your name and the demons submit to us. And Jesus said, buddy, the demons? I can top that. I watched the devil fall from the sky like lightning. He didn't sail down to hell. He was a lightning bolt. He went to hell. Look at what happened here. Now, this is a prophecy of Babylon. But what's interesting about this, this is... Um, this is the king we're going, uh, we're going to be uh, referring to. The king of Babylon here, he, um, this is what we call, it has a double meaning. And the reason why is because no king, no human king could this be talking about. Isaiah 14, 12. Now, these four verses we're about to read if you were a liberal Bible scholar, you would read this and say, oh, that's just the king of Babylon. Of course, it's very clear. That's what the whole section is about. But that, that doesn't make sense there. And the reason why the fall that's about to happen, a human king wouldn't endure. <clears throat> Shining morning star. That's a reference. If you have the King James Bible, that says Lucifer. This is not a reference to a star in the sky it's a reference to the devil. Shining morning star, how you have fallen from the heavens. You destroyer of nations. You've been cut down to the ground. This is a reference to Satan we're talking about here. You said to yourself, this is why the devil was kicked out of heaven. You said to yourself, I will ascend to the heavens. I will set up my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the God's assembly in the remotest parts of the north. So this man named Lucifer, who was an angel at this point, he decided he wanted to be like God. 
So he thought, well, I'm just going to set my throne up above God's throne, and I will be greater than God. I will be the greatest angel and even greater than God. He's going to have a throne higher to us. This is pride. He's telling himself this. I'm going to do this. Verse 14. I will ascend above the highest clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. So not only is he going to set his throne up high, he's going to become God himself. Now understand this. The shining morning star, who is Satan, he didn't do this. He said it to himself. One day he wakes up, or he decided, or he plotted, I'm going to do this. I'm going to become like God. I'm going to set my throne up and it's going to be higher than God. Why is God the Father having to tell me, an angel, Lucifer, what to do? And look what happens here. Verse 15. But you will be brought down to Sheol into the deepest regions of the pit. God responded to Satan's thinking in these four verses. He wanted to be like God. So he says, you will not do that. You, in fact, will go to Sheol. You're going to hell. So then you flip back in our passage here in Luke chapter 10. I want you all to follow me on this. Luke chapter 10, verse 18. Now remember, they're just bragging. The 72 are so excited that the demons submitted to Jesus' name. Jesus is going to one-up them and say, guys, I can blow that away. I can beat your little demon stories. Look at this. I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. That there is directly from Isaiah 14, 15. Satan was kicked out of heaven because he wanted to be like God. And he was going to set his throne up. And because he had these motives and intentions, God saying, no, you won't. You're going to hell, Sheol. You're going to the place of the dead. And Jesus was right there in heaven, and he says, I watched that sign. I watched that lightning bolt go down. That is why, that is why Satan is not in heaven right now. He's a fallen angel. And his name is the bright morning star. He was the greatest of all the angels, and he was rejected by God, and Jesus witnessed, witnessed his fall. So when Jesus talks about this, He's saying, guys, I completely understand about defeating the devil. I saw him get kicked out of heaven. The devil is a defeated enemy. He's lost his place in the heavenly realm. He's now roaming around, pulling people into hell with himself. Keep going here. Verse 19. Look, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and, all over, the, and over the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Don't get excited about little evil spirits submitting to you. No. Here's what we rejoice in. This is better. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, keep your finger here in Luke chapter 10. Flip over to Revelation chapter 13 about the Antichrist. Because something's going to happen. Revelation 13 is the beast of the sea. This is the Antichrist. Later on, we're going to see the beast of the earth, which is the false prophet. Well, it's interesting, here in the, when the beast of the sea comes up, the Antichrist, we're introduced to this book of life. And Jesus is saying, 
that there is a book somewhere that your name is written in heaven. When you were saved and you were born again, God literally writes your name in a book somewhere in heaven. And that's what we should be rejoicing about. Folks should not be excited that demons are submitting to Jesus' name. No, we're beyond that. You should be excited that you know the Lord. You're going to heaven. You have an eternal home with Him. That should bring us joy. Look here. Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. This is the, B, this is the Antichrist. Uh, Starting verse 5. I want you to read along. Revelation 13, 5. The beast was given a mouth to utter boast and blasphemies. Right there, that's exactly what got kicked Lucifer, or the bright morning star, out of heaven. It was, it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. That's three and a half years. It began to speak blasphemies against God, to blaspheme His name and His dwelling. You know, right there we see that's straight out of Isaiah 14. Remember, the bright morning star, he attacked God, he wanted to be like God. Then he says, you know, I'm going to make my home even higher than God. So one of the signs of the Antichrist is he's going to go after God. He's going to attack God's character, God's name. He's going to attack God's home where he dwells at. And those who dwell in heaven, verse 7, And it was permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. It was also given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. You know, that's a tough verse to understand there. And it, that is the beast, was given, was permitted, meaning he's still under God's control. Won't you follow along your Bible? To wage war, that's the war we're in now, the spiritual war against the saints, and to conquer them. One of, our, one of our concerns as believers, we always have to remember that Satan is a roaring lion. If a lion walked in right here, middle of the sermon, and it had a big smile on its face, and then all of a sudden a trainer, you know, back before the little circus went out of business, they have these Siberian trainers from Siberia, Russia, somewhere. And they're there saying, oh, he's not, he's not, har- not going to harm you. There's no leash or anything. He's just walking along with this giant lion. Say, don't worry, he's a great pet. I know he has big claws and a big mouth, but it's okay. Calm down, everybody. Just give him a big pet. You, probably most of us, we'd be running away. We wouldn't believe the man. But that is what literally the book of Peter describes Satan as a roaring lion. He like looks, he just walks in. He's right there and he's going to attack. Literally, he's saying here, this is what it will be like. He will go after the saints. Satan wants to ruin your life, even if you're saved. He wants to pull you out of commission and make you a bitter, angry Christian and believer. He wants to make you a non-worker for the kingdom. He'll do anything he can to disqualify you for God's work. And for some folks, he'll do it. He will conquer them. They will get attacked. They'll get eaten. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and culture, meaning every single person on earth has to deal with the devil. This is a reality for all of us. None of us are exempt from the attacks of the, no matter what, you go to Timbuktu, which is actually a city in Maui, Maui um, uh, Africa out there. There's a literal town. You mill nowhere, and you will find spiritual warfare and sin r- running rampant. 
All those who live on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slaughtered. If anyone has ears, ears to hear, let him hear. There was a book here, it's referenced in verse 8. Anyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life. Jesus is telling us, he's saying we should rejoice that our names are actually written in this book over rejoicing, defeating evil. It's once you're saved, you've already defeated evil. Flip back to Luke chapter 10 here. Jesus making it very clear for us, the greatest thing in our life is knowing that we are saved. And that's an assurance that when you talk to folks, listen, if you're witnessing to someone, and this happened just a couple of days ago, I believe it was Glenn Dawson was sharing the gospel with someone. He asked a question there in Letcher County. He says, are you sure you're saved? And the guy looked at him and said, no, I don't think so. If you're saved, you know you're saved. Because the Bible says your name is written in the book of life. You don't have an uncertainty. There's an assurance of your salvation. The last section here, verse 21 in closing. This is the last one we're going to see. At that time, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus. And Jesus said... Praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things. Who? What are these things? Now, these things can mean either two things. It can mean, number one, we've hidden, remember the previous conversation we just had, how the devil had, was kicked out of heaven like a lightning bolt. And only Jesus saw it. They, they don't quite understand the spiritual warfare, so God has hidden this warfare that's going on. Or these things could be that Jesus is the Messiah and that the disciples here, they are realizing that He is God's Son. So we don't exactly know what these things are. It's a reference to either one of these. That we've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. I believe what that verse is mean is the disciples are getting the understanding that they are privileged enough to see God's Son in front of them. The world doesn't understand Jesus is God's Son, but these 12 disciples He's talking to, and maybe even the 72 here is returned, they have now realized this is the Messiah. That's what these things are. Yes, Father, because this was Your good pleasure, all things have been entrusted to Me by My Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal Him. Then turning to His disciples, He said to them privately, and that is a private conversation, Locally says, Blessed are the eyes that you see, the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see the things you see, but didn't see them. Or hear the things you hear, but didn't hear them. What Jesus is saying here saying all the Old Testament saints and the great prophets, they've known about the coming Messiah, but it was not the time for Him to be revealed. You do not realize how blessed you are to be able to hear and see the things that we see. Now in closing here, I think we look at these 24 verses here we just read. Verse 2 stands out. What happens is there is a great harvest, an abundant and a plentiful harvest all around us. What do we do? We need to be praying to the Lord of the harvest 
to send out workers. God brings workers. Part of being a disciple is being realizing, am I a worker? Am I doing kingdom work for the Lord? I want you to be thinking about it. One of the ways you can help me, every time we have an invitation for folks to respond, you need to be praying for the people that this word, Jesus says, anyone who has ears to hear should listen to these words. You pray against distractions. You pray for hearts to be softened. You pray for people who have the boldness and to be like a Deborah, who even if they're the only one to stand, they are going to respond to God. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I pray that you will raise up workers amongst us. Lord, all of us are required to be workers for you. Lord, put in our hearts a desire to serve, a passion for you. Lord, help us open up our minds that we should be rejoicing that our names are written in the book of life in heaven. Lord, we know there is an evil one, a roaring lion, who's just crouching around the corner, who wants to destroy and devour us. Lord, give us the strength to stand for you. Lord, I pray as we have our invitation, I pray we will be like Deborah, and we will have the boldness to make a stand, even if we're the only one. Lord, we just thank you for bringing us here, and I thank you for opening up our minds to your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to have our invitation as we always close. Mr. David Dell is going to lead us in a song. Let's stand together and sing as he leads us in our song. We'll sing together, I have decided. I have decided to follow be back here Wednesday night. We will be studying, uh, um, ne- next, next Sunday I'm going to be preaching on Gideon, but we're also going to, he has several chapters in the book of Judges, so we will be here at 6.30, we have dinner at 5.30, 6.30 we'll also be studying part of Gideon's life, we're going through Judges on Wednesday night, so that's our, um, uh, our, I guess our teaching schedule for that. Be praying for the children as they start school this week, it's exciting opportunities for them to be great witnesses to their, uh, their neighborhood children and, and the community. So it's uh, a, an exciting time to get back in that routine. And David's going to close us in song. Y'all did such a fine job of I'll Fly Away a while ago. Let's sing the chorus. Here we go. I'll fly away, oh Lord.